much for your cooperation. <laughs> All right, so offerings. The ushers come forward. take communion as I say every month um, I must say that 1 Corinthians 11 26 through 29 tells us to examine ourselves to make sure we are worthy of taking communion communion so what does that mean it means if you're not born again you should probably not be taking communion if you are born again Christian and if you have sin in your life that's not been dealt with today is or right now is the best time to deal with that before you take communion so pray to get that taken care of um, let's go to the Lord in prayer to bless this communion the precious Heavenly Father great God in heaven once again Lord we come to you and we ask Lord God that you put your hand upon the communion Lord as we do this in remembrance of you Lord God we pray that you'll bless this communion in Jesus name Amen, Amen. All right, let me grab one of them right there okay y'all
26, 26 through 28 says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it, and he broke it into pieces, and he gave it to the disciples and said, take this and eat, for this is my body. Take this bread representing your life that was broken for us. We thank you for dying for us and uh, for the death that you give for us. Take the bread and eat. Then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks for it to God and he gave it to them and he said, Each of you drink from it for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Take the cup and drink. And dear precious Heavenly Father, we thank you Lord for this time that we celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection. We celebrate what you did for us, Lord, by breaking the bread that represents your body, by drinking this wine, Lord, that represents the blood that you shed on Calvary's cross. Lord, without that, we would have nothing. Without that, Lord God, we would all be on a straight trajectory to hell. And Lord God, we thank you for those sacrifices that, you, that you've done willfully. You didn't have to do it, but you did. And we thank you for that. We love you and we praise you every day in Jesus name. Amen. 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 All right, y'all. So something exciting is happening today for the first time. We're having children's services downstairs while Brother Mark gives the word up here. Um, my mother-in-law, Sharon. I think we're going to do it outside. They're going to do it outside. Okay. Um, doesn't matter. They're going to go out there. They have something phenomenal planned. I'm so excited for everyone to to see what they're doing, the kids will be a part of it. So, um, do you, what, do you guys want to go ahead and release the kids now? And yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. I tell you what, James does a great job at that, and uh, I want James to do that. All the time. <laughs> he does an awesome job. Yeah. One thing about it, if the Lord ever calls him to preach, he's going to be an awesome preacher. <laughs> if that happens. All right. Okay. Do a favor. My glasses here. All right. There is one announcement that I did forget to make. Um, I worked Wednesday night. I showed everybody a couple of, well, it was about eight or ten samples of possible ways that the sign could look um, or a new signage and our new logos and all that kind of stuff. I added a little bit more to it. Uh, if everybody will, there's papers laying out on the back that you can just kind of look at. There's a little list down there, put your name there, which one you liked. Uh, 
or if you want to see changes done. If you don't like none of them, put down there you don't like none of them and just get, give me some kind of an idea which direction to go. I was telling William a little while ago, when companies come to me to design their logos and their products and stuff, what I do is I just start throwing out all different kinds of ideas as they come in. Something is related to that business or whatever, and I just throw them out, and I usually get a piece of, you know, one piece of paper, and I'll have 10 or 12 different designs on it. I'll take it and present it to them, and I'll say, okay, you pick the parts that you like or whatever you like, and if we're on the wrong track, we'll start all over again. Same way with this, okay? These are not, no, by no means, there's not a, uh, a one on here that I like better than the other or anything like that. It's just I'm th kind of throwing it all in your laps and saying, okay, pick the ones that you might like, if uh, parts of it or whatever, okay? So that, that's, the, that's the first step in trying to get an idea of what we want as a sign. Now, all these signs here are made, uh, are designed to use just vinyl, like I do the, the little yard signs like, like that. We can do a color, you know, where you actually have it printed and we can stick that vinyl on there. I used to do that. I don't do it now. The reason being two and a half, three years, they start fading real bad. They won't last. Uh, they get to looking pretty bad and they are very expensive. Since I can't print them anymore, I have to sub, sub that out. And uh, so they're very expensive. But if that's what you want, we can go that route. So. If you will, before you leave today, just please look and like I say, write your name down, what you kind of like or don't like or let me know. And uh, usually I'm dealing with one or two people in a company, <laughs> you know, we sit there and we hash it out for an hour or two. Uh, but we're going to have to kind of do it this way until everybody kind of gets an idea of, or until I get an idea of what you guys like and then I can start refining that, okay? So don't forget to do that, please, because we're getting real close. Go ahead, Jackie. Um, I wanted to remind everybody of the, the spaghetti supper, and we've got a uh, sign-up sheet in the lobby, and we've got um, flyers to hand out. So pick up some of the flyers and give them to your neighbors, and be sure you tell everybody so that we have a lot of turnout for our, our spaghetti supper. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I did get, I've got, I made two signs. And I got one of them put up here just a few minutes ago. The other one's in the office. And the reason I didn't put it up was because I told you yesterday if I got a chance, I was going to come up here and weed eat around the sign. I noticed somebody had sprayed, but it still needs to be weed eat a little bit. Um, so if, um, if I can get up here early enough Wednesday, I'll bring a weed eater, knock that down, and we'll put that sign out there at the end of the road. Okay. Um, still think I'm forgetting something. Do we do a hymn? Huh? Do we do a hymn now or no? Uh, I mean, you can if you want to. Uh, well, yeah, do do that, and then uh, that way, if I think of anything else, I'll. Let's go for number 44, Victory in Jesus. Getting a little feedback, um, William, if you want to, from both of us, I think. Turn me down just a little bit, will you, please?
a song leader out there right here. <laughs> Daughter-in-law. We do. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, I, I've done, done mention that tour. Uh huh. Oh, hey, we we can volunteer. We need you. you. <laughs> do what? Well, what do you think about yeah, me? You'll get over it. The adrenaline, the feed on the adrenaline. <laughs> you just got, hey, you just got to get over it. <laughs> it's what they always told me. You just got to get over it. Yeah, she does, she would stuff, make a good too. song later. And, yeah. I, and I, we are really good about volunteering people around here. <laughs> yeah. So when you want to start, Cindy? No. Oh, come on. You hey, practice what? all week long. No. All right. Yeah, we can practice together. <laughs> 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 all right. Oh, me. Well, it's good to be back in the house of the Lord this morning. I think I've got everything covered that I was supposed to cover. Um, I feel like I've been running with like a chicken with my head cut off this whole week. But um, too. you too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this morning, we're going to talk about and start in Revelation. We're going to start in Revelation 1 1. And um, we're going to start with the seven churches. And. Um, All right. Okay. So um, <clears throat> if you guys want to stand, we'll go ahead and stand and we'll do the reading and then we'll get started. It honestly feels like it's been a month since I've been a pre-preacher. Didn't I preach two weeks ago? Yeah. Man. All right. Uh, I want to start out this message uh, by laying the groundwork before we jump into each of the seven churches uh, that are spoken of in the first three chapters of Revelation. So let's get into the verses here and then we'll get started. Uh, Revelation 1, 1 through 4, and this is the King James Version. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things that must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by an angel unto the servant John, who bare the record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of the following things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and hear that, that hear the words of this prophecy. Now let me read that one more time because I want you all to let this sink in. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. We're going to come back to that just in a second. And keep those things which are written in, therein. For the time is at hand, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne. Dear precious Heavenly Father, great God in heaven, Lord, we come to you once more, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you will anoint the ears of every person in this building, Lord, that they will hear the message that you want them to hear. I pray, Lord God, that you'll loosen my lips, loosen my tongue, take over. I pray that the words that comes out of my mouth is what you want to come out of my out of my mouth and not what I want to come out of my mouth. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray that you just bless this service today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Out of all the scriptures in the Bible, the book of Revelation is the only one that says, Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. So you are promised a blessing when you study Revelation or when you look at Revelation. So many people that I have talked to over the years are interested in prophecy, but when it comes to revelation, they like, I don't understand it. I don't want to mess with it. I'm not going to get into it. And I've heard that for years. And the thing about it is, is when you first look at it from the outside looking in, it does look a little scary and it looks a little bit challenging. And, and it kind of is. 
if you, if you know the background, like I always say, if you know the background, it makes it a little easier to get into it. So we're going to jump right into this today and, uh, and see what we got here, okay? <clears throat> the seven churches in Revelations, chapters 2 and 3, are a very interesting study. First of all, these were seven literal churches seven literal churches that were in operation during the period when John received the revelation. Now this would have been around 95 AD. Some people say it's between 70 and 100, but it was been around 95 AD, the best I can tell. So that was about 60 to 62 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. So who are these seven churches? They are Ephesus, and these are the orders that, that God put them in. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. All seven of these churches were located, he's always right on it, good deal, uh, are located in Asia Minor, or what we now know as Turkey. And of course, they're actually in close proximity. Now, <clears throat> these were not all the churches that were in existence at that time. A lot of people, when they read this and see this, and they think, okay, they're sending the letters, you know, this whole thing of uh, Revelation, as he told him to put it in a book, they're sending it out to these seven churches. So a lot of people have a misconception that those were the only churches that were in existence at that time. That's not so. There were actually a lot of churches scattered out around the Mediterranean Sea, all up in there, up in the Macedonia and, and so forth. So through Antioch, Galatia, Thessalonica, Macedonia. That's just to name a few. So there was a lot of churches. Now you got to remember too that churches then weren't like churches now. Okay, when I say churches, I'm talking about the people, churches. Okay, so what happened was in a lot of these areas where they had a church, it would be where people gathered into the same household and they would have church. They would meet, they would fellowship, and they would pray and they would have churches. Everything's changed since then, somewhat, as we move forward. But some people think that there could have been hundreds and maybe hundreds and hundreds of churches around that area at that time period that were established. So with all of that in mind, if there were hundreds and hundreds of churches, why were these seven churches singled out or selected? Pretty good question, right? Why were they out of all of them? Okay. <clears throat> it could have been several different things, several different reasons. Not 100% sure. I don't think anybody really knows. But I believe it was because of this. I got to really getting in and kind of digging and seeing what different attributes these churches had. So if you look at it, it seems that these seven churches have all the attributes that any church could have. So... Anything that could happen in the body of Christ, in the church, anything that could happen has probably happened in one of these seven churches in these letters. You see what I'm saying? So it's like the questions are answered. So if we look at that a little bit, uh, little bit more, uh, when, when you look at chapter 2 and chapter 3 about each of these churches, those verses mention things that are good, bad, Punishments, encouragements, or rewards. I believe these seven churches, in part, act as a scorecard or a report card. Anything that a church goes through can be compared to those seven churches. 
And, and like I say, when I say churches, I don't mean church buildings, okay? A church, uh, buildings are simply a place for the church to go meet, okay? So these buildings are just, these, this is not a church. This is a building where church people come to meet. The church is when a person has the Holy Spirit living inside of them, you are part of the church. So who's the church? We just got the Holy Spirit inside of us are the church, right? So that's the reason when we try to bring other people in and we try to get them to see the truth and get saved so that they can join into the church. So that's the real church, all right? So there's a lot of things that has been over the years, people have got to the point where that they, they look at the churches and the big cathedrals and mega churches and all that, and they look at the buildings and they go, that's a nice church. Well, it's the meeting place for the church. Okay? So, let's move on. As soon as I find where my place is at here. <laughs> I may want to move back just a little bit. Okay, so if we're, if we're doing something in a church body, and I kind of mentioned this, that compares to the things that happened in those churches, we can actually look in this and we can see how that, that part of the church was handled or what the outcome would be, whether it be good or bad. One thing to remember here is many teachers and preachers over the years have used these verses. Now, this is something very important. When you... This is kind of touchy. Okay. Preachers and teachers have looked at these verses over the years, and they have tried to use these to prove that born-again believers could lose their salvation if they'd done the things in this, in this writing. Okay? These verses in Revelation 1 through 3, remember this, are talking about churches, groups, not individuals at all, okay? These are to be compared to other churches only, all right? When I grew up, in a lot of churches, we've all been taught this. When I grew up, I grew up believing that you could lose your salvation. You could get that born again today and be lost tomorrow, born again the next day and lost tomorrow, okay? That's the way I grew up. So I tell this all the time. When I was 10 years old, June 22nd, 1975, 10 years old, I was on the altar. I remember it like it was yesterday, and I got saved. I got born again, okay? Been born again ever since. But because I believed that way, <clears throat> because I believed that way, the next year or every time that I'd done something that was wrong as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, and it got worse as I got older, because I was doing more stuff that was bad, right? Because most teenagers do. I was on the altar all the time thinking I was getting saved over and over and over again. Everything in this book points to the Holy Spirit said, or when it talks about the Holy Spirit being inside of it, He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, right? We've all read that. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And it also says, Paul says, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay? So you can't be unsealed. Okay? So once you are a child of God, you're forever a child of God. Now you may have your ups and downs. He may punish you and your reward in heaven may not be too great if you fall away and you live a bad life. 
But if you've truly got the Holy Spirit inside of you, that's the kicker. Do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? If you truly have the Holy Spirit inside of you, he's there. It's like you gained another conscience. He's going to work with you. Okay? God didn't say nowhere in this book that you've got to be perfect. Didn't say that. But what a lot of people try to use, there's like two or three verses in, well, there's two verses in Hebrew that they try to use. And I don't know why I'm on this because it's got nothing to do with what I'm trying to say. It just feels like it's the way I'm supposed to go. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, there's two verses in Hebrew. So the people that try to teach that you can lose your salvation, they use two verses in Hebrews and they use these verses about the seven churches. And they try to compare the seven churches to individuals. You cannot do that. It does not correspond. It will not work. Okay? And when I did a year and a half long study back in 19... Probably 80, 90, maybe 90, 1990. I did a year and a half long study. And when I say a year and a half long study, I got off work. I came in. I got all my Bibles and different translations and everything I could get. Zondervan's Bible, encyclopedias, you name it. Books for and against. And I'd have them laid down on the floor and I would be down on there until bedtime. I did that for a year and a half. All my spare time was on that floor trying to study those books. When God finally revealed it to me, the two verses in Hebrews, and I'm going to preach these one of these days, the two verses in Hebrews are the very verses that prove, because they're taken out of context, they were the very verses that proved in context that you cannot lose your salvation. The two very verses. And when that come to me and God opened that up, it felt like somebody had lifted a birdcage off my head. I had freedom. I wasn't scared to death all the time. If you're scared to death all the time that if you do something wrong and you're going to lose your salvation, you don't have no freedom. You can't grow in the Word. can't do it. I've got a couple of uncles. I love them to death. But they think that if they do anything wrong and they don't repent of it immediately, they're lost and they're going to hell. And they're both preachers. And one of them got so mad at me, he wouldn't speak to me for, well, he didn't speak to me for about four years because I questioned him on something like this. Okay? So, anyway, don't know where that come from. Oh, I guess I do, but it, it wasn't part of my message, but anyway. So whoever that was for, we'd, I did ask that he would, uh, <laughs> Donna said it's for her. Okay, good enough. All right. Okay, Revelation 1, 10 through 20, John speaking here. It says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and, and heard behind me a great voice of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. So he's telling John here, everything that I'm getting ready to show you, the whole, all of Revelation, write it in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And when I turned, or being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot and girth about the paps, with a golden girdle. His head and hairs were as white as wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as they were burned in a furnace. 
and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. That's the word of God. When you see that sharp two-edged sword, it's talking about the word of God. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. When I saw him, I fell to my feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first, I am the last, I am he that liveth, I, am, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus ain't never going to die again. Amen. And I have the keys to hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be here and after. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. Okay? So these verses are talking specifically about churches slash congregations, body of Christ, not individuals. But it is interesting to know each of those, to know if each of those seven churches had an, or they did have an angel assigned to them. Is this passage, this is a question, is this passage letting us know as a congregation or as a church that we have an angel assigned to us also. Hmm, is it or not? I believe it does. Just as Satan has his demons running around here trying to disturb things and, and tear up stuff, I believe that we do have an angel assigned to us to oversee, to protect us, to maybe fight the demons off a little bit. That's just my thought. I can't prove it. Some people try to say that these angels are the pastors of the church. That's not correct. It is referring to watchers or angels, so angels that would be here. When I was putting this message together, I kept debating. I, I even mentioned this Wednesday night because I was thinking about this message. I didn't have anything put together on this. And I was debating, would I try to do one message cover all seven churches, or would, do I need to break it up and do seven different messages, or how do I need to do this? So I started working on it. And actually, I worked on it a little bit Thursday. I started yesterday morning at 2 o'clock. I quit last night, 10 o'clock. Almost nonstop. I had some, get, or some people came over for a little bit. So anyway, it wound up that to do this, uh, I can get all the points across in two messages. So it would be this week and next week. Uh, but only if I didn't read all the, all the stuff in the three chapters. So I'll give you some homework. All right, between now and next week, Read chapter 1, 2, 3, or at least 2 and 3 of Revelation, okay? Uh, so I'm going to give you some homework. I always wanted to do that. <laughs> I always used to get plenty. All right. So do you remember, I know you, I know you do, you've heard me talk about this, especially in the um, Bible study class, those two verses in Ecclesiastes that I love so much that you pretty much got to know it or you can't really figure out prophecy, okay? So and it, for anybody that may not know what it is, Ecclesiastes 1.9 and 3.5, and what it says basically is there's basically nothing new under the sun. What's happened before will happen again, all right? So history repeats itself. In Bible prophecies, there is something similar to that. Bible prophecies... Uh, prophecy events tend to have a parallel. 
a parallel, a parallel event that runs some time or some period. So let me explain. As I said, the seven churches are literal churches, and they were around the year uh, 95 AD when John received the revelation. But now, roughly 1,927 years from that time period, so we've advanced in time, 1,927 years, we can, this is the greatest thing about living today, especially with computers and technology, we have the ability to do things that a lot of people didn't get to do 100 years ago or 200 years ago. We can go back and we can do research and we can see what happened, right? Okay? I mean, we literally... You know, for the information that has been recorded, especially with computers, we have access to most everything now. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot that we don't, but, but when you go back and you look, let's look at the last 1,927 years and see what happens. Well, here's what's really wild about this. This, this is crazy. All right. So if you go back and look at the history that has been going on, the seven churches that were literal in those days that had their own circumstances, their own problems, and their own situations, okay? If you look at the timeline from now all the way back to the day of Pentecost, what's the day of Pentecost? That's the day that the church age started, the day that grace started, okay? So from that time until the rapture takes place, so we're, we're that close from the rapture right now, could happen in three minutes if it wanted to, uh, but that distance between there. So all of the different things are kind of broke up into groups as to how that they happen. Guess how many groups it is? Seven. If you look at world history and what was going on <coughs> excuse me, in the church from now back to the time of the day of Pentecost in that area, you'll find it breaks up perfectly into seven groups. And you will find that the description of these churches fall perfectly in place in order with those seven slots. So that's what we're going to talk about. All right. All right. As soon as I find my place again. Okay. So we're going to start with the first church. Okay. Now, I don't have a lot of information. I didn't put a lot of information down about Ephesus. Uh, because it is a real short time period. But number one, Ephesus means, oh, and by the way, Wednesday night, <coughs> Wednesday night we were talking about, uh, in something we were studying, about how that names have meanings, okay? And we showed this little thing about uh, Adam through Noah and how the meanings, and I think pretty much everybody got a copy. There's some more back there if anybody wants it, but it's really neat. Well, guess what? These church, these names, they got meanings too, Okay, so Ephesus, the, the word Ephesus means fully purposed. It means also, it means darling or the desired one. Okay, so it's something that, hey, this is good, right? Okay, fully purposed, darling or desired one. When you read Revelation 2.1.7, the attributes that you will see that in Ephesus, it gets a pretty good score on the scorecard or the report card. The only mark that God puts against that, or Jesus puts against that church, is it's backslidden. Okay? Now, here we go again. This falls into what I was saying earlier that I didn't know where it come from. In those churches that I used to be in, uh, they would always say, you know, if you was at a church for two or three weeks or you forgot to bring your Bible, you're backslidden. 
Okay, and of course, if you're backslidden with them, you're backslidden plumb out of, you know, God's realm and you're going to hell. But backslidden means that simply <coughs> this church wasn't as strong as it once was. It was on fire and it let its far go down. It dwindled down. It didn't put any more wood back in the far. Okay, so listen, the easiest thing in the world for a Christian to do is backslide. You can be on fire, you can be in, you, can be in, you know, three revivals in a row, 30, minutes, 30 days each revival, be on fire, and a week after you're out of that, you can be totally backslidden and look like you're not even the same person. And you know what? Every one of us is guilty of that or capable of doing that, right? Okay? That don't mean we're going to hell. If, if we went to hell every time that they preached that you could go to hell, you know how many people be in heaven? The Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God. That's it. Maybe some angels. Nobody else is going to be there because who could get there? It's all the gift. Man, I'm really on this. Whew, okay, we're going to go with it. What does he say? It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. If we could work our way into heaven... When we walked up to St. Peter and we go, he goes, okay, I guess you're coming into heaven. Yeah. I gave $100 a week to church every time I ever went. I never missed a service. I went and visited the neighbors. I prayed for the dog and the cat and everybody else. Okay, I didn't miss nothing. Let me in. Look at me. All right. God didn't want a bunch of boasters up there. He said, it's a gift. You accept it, you got it. If you don't accept it, you don't have it. We make the choice. God, God don't have a big button up there like this here that he's just waiting for somebody to mess up. Oh, he messed up. Boom, he's going to hell. Oh, he come back. He's, he's all right. He's coming back now. Not the way that it works. Never has been. Okay? We may even get into that even more. Not that I planned on it. All right. So, <clears throat> this church, Ephesus, did it backslidden. Okay? Jesus was telling them, okay, you backslidden a little bit, but that's, that's fix it and let's move on. All right, so you backslidden. This church represents a time period from 30 A.D. until 100 A.D. So 30 A.D. was when Jesus was starting his ministry. So that's when the Ephesus church basically started, okay, as far as the parallel part. It may have been later as far as the literal, but as far as the parallel part, that's when it would have started, okay. So, <clears throat> it would have been during the times that Paul was preaching and the church was getting started, okay? So, if you think about it from that time that it got started in 30 AD when Jesus was here, all the way up to 100, the only real opposition that the church had was the Jewish people because Rome didn't care about them. At that point in time, Rome was not worried about these few people that's gathered around claiming to be Christian or following this guy that the Jews didn't accept and they killed him on the cross. For as Rome knew, he was still dead. The Romans was not worried. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was going to bother the Romans. But the Jews, it did bother them. You remember we talked, I think, either here or back there, the Pharisees that had the big heads, uh, they wanted all the clout. They wanted everybody looking up to them and giving them the praises, okay? They had a problem with any Christian or, or Jesus because they didn't want nobody to do that. They wanted everybody to look at them. So they had a problem. So 
during that time, it really wasn't that bad as compared to what was getting ready to happen. Okay, so we're going to leave that and we're going to go to the next church, Smyrna. Now, Smyrna means, and this is kind of wild, means bitter perfume, stinks, myrrh, which was used for, best I remember, embalming fluid. It stunk. So when you look at that, you think, man, this is going to be a bad one here, right? Because it stinks. Okay, well, we'll see where it goes here later. <clears throat> when you read Revelation 2, 8 through 10, now that's where, it, that's where it basically talks about Smyrna. I'm going to read part of it. And it says, Unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive, I know thy works. Tribulation and poverty. Now they were a poor group, very poor. They were just barely making it, okay? He says, but thou art rich. Why were they rich? Because they had the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Okay? He was blessing them. He was actually taking care of them. But thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but they are, but are the synagogue of Satan. Hmm. Synagogue of Satan. Okay. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison, that ye may be tried, and ye, uh, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Remember that ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, the attributes you see here in Smyrna would get an A+. Plus on the report card, okay? They really would. They'd get a replay, uh, an A+. Jesus had no complaints against them whatsoever. He had none. They were poor. They were doing their best. He had no complaints, all right? Now, they were a persecuted church by the Roman Empire. About 108, uh, 100 A.D. until 313 A.D., this was about, you know, a little over 200-year time span, the Romans began to notice something. And here's what they noticed. Christians were growing so quickly that they were afraid that if they didn't slow this growth down, stop them, punish them, or whatever, that they were going to grow to, in such numbers that they might accidentally take over the Roman Empire. Now, the Romans were getting kind of worried at this point in time. So in this 200 years, there was a lot of things that kind of took place here. Okay? <clears throat> for 10 years. Now, you remember I said right up here, remember the 10 days? Okay? Now, you've heard me talk about, and the Bible talks about, that a day if the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. When you're going through Bible prophecy, if it says 10 days, 10 months, 10 years, it can all mean the same thing. Okay? So, in this point, what I did was I went back and I looked to find what, if there was 10 days of tribulation that is, you know, that shows up or for, you know, what it may be. Well, here's what I found. I found that from the year 303 A.D. until 313 to 313, 10 years, here's what happened. These very evil emperors, rulers, they began killing Christians. 
So for 10 years, emperors, uh, Emperor Diocletian, which was in power at that point in time, he would send out his troops every day to slaughter Christians. He would send them out. They'd go out and kill 15,000, 20,000 Christians. Next day, there'd be 15,000, 20,000 more showing up. They'd done this for 10 years. They'd go out and kill and kill and kill and kill. It, it was unbelievable what they'd do. They were trying to annihilate, trying to eradicate them, trying to get them killed off so that they could never take over the Roman Empire. Talk about wicked. I mean, they were the wickedest bunch that's ever been on planet Earth. They were very wicked. <clears throat> Diocletian finally gave up and simply, he, he, he couldn't win. He could not eradicate all the Christians. So he gave up. He resigned being the emperor of Rome. He was the first emperor ever to do that. Ever to do that. Another guy, Gala something, another, I can't remember exactly, he was very insignificant. He, sh he took uh, Diocletian's place for a short time, and uh, he didn't last very long, I mean just a few years. But he, he moved into that spot. But Diocletian just gave up. He said, I can't do it, all right? In Revelation 2.9, we read, and you may be wondering what the synagogue of Satan, so I want to cover this before I move forward anymore what the synagogue of Satan was. This was the groups that were sent out on behalf of the ones that were in power, the ones who claimed to be Jews. In other words, um, like we just talked about, these were the crooked people that used their claims as to be Jews as a permission slip to go and kill the enemies uh, of basically bloody Rome. So what that means is, as the Pharisees would go out to try to kill the Jews or try to stop them or try to slow them down. Some of these Romans, they did kind of the same thing. They just claimed they were Jews and they had the right to kill Christians. And then, of course, the Jews, a lot of them followed right along with it because the Jews didn't understand. If somebody were to come in today and start promoting something that you didn't know or didn't understand, even if it was right, let's just say Jesus has a, a second son and we don't know nothing about him. This is totally hypothetical, okay? And let's say that Jesus brought his second son in here, and, or not Jesus, but God brought his second son in here, and they said, this is the way it's going to be, and it's going to move forward. Okay, this is the new Messiah, or whatever. And let's say that it was actually God. None of us in here would believe that, right? No, we, we would, it's all new to us. Well, see, it was the same thing with the Jewish people. There was information in the Bible if they wanted to read it or in the Word, but it was the same thing with them. When this guy came on the scene and he had people fall, Jesus had people following him all over the place, they didn't think it was the Messiah, so they kind of wrote him off. Okay? So it would be kind of like us. I know that's a bad illustration. It's just the best thing I can come up with at the moment. But what I'm saying is, at first, those people didn't know any better. But they took it to the extreme. Instead of trying to learn it, they just got mad and said, we're going to kill them, we're going to kill all the Christians and so forth. So that's exactly what happened. Well, what Jesus was saying about those people that were doing that and basically using the Jewish name, we, we find in Scripture, and we found it like the other night in, in Bible study, that a lot of people uses God as a patsy to do things that they want to do. This is basically what they were doing. They were claiming to be Jews as a patsy because they're God's chosen ones to go out and kill these Christians because they didn't understand it or they didn't want to do the research that 
Jesus was calling them the synagogue of Satan. Did I lose everybody on that? Okay, everybody good? All right. That was kind of hard. Okay, so <clears throat> now we're going to move to the next one. All right? Pergamum. <laughs> You're going to get a kick out of this one, I promise you. Pergamum means much marriage. Much marriage. Or put together. Or bad marriage. Or perverted marriage. Okay, so <laughs> Pergamum, yep, that bad marriage put together. And so if you look at those meanings of that, what I'm getting ready to show you, you'll see where it comes into play. Okay, so I said it was Diocletian, and then it was this Galilee or whoever, what his name was, I think it was four or five years. Constantine comes on the scene. Okay, now Constantine's brilliant, all right? He's brilliant. He comes on the scene with the most elaborate scheme ever devised by mankind. I promise you it really was. Okay? Especially against God. In 313, Constantine, who was a pagan sun god, Nimrod, Semiramis, Tammuz, uh, whatever you want to call them, because they changed their name every other year, it seemed like, all the way back to Nimrod. He was a pagan sun god worshiper. That's who Constantine worshiped. Okay? All of his buddies were pagan sun god worship. The whole Roman Empire was as far as the Romans were concerned. In the class that we've been working on back here, for those of you that's not been in that class, we've been talking about the different uh, empires as they go up and how that all of them worship these different gods that all revert back to Nimrod, every one of them. So Noah's great-grandson, all right? So this is where we're at. So this is what, <clears throat> this is what Constantine was. So Constantine was one of the emperors of Rome but Rome was so big, they had another emperor. So Constantine and this other emperor, they decided they're going to battle it out. They're going to battle it out. They agreed to meet at this place called the Milvian Bridge. And they were going to bring their troops in, and they were going to have it out, and the winner takes all. All right? So Constantine knew he was outnumbered. He was outgunned. So here's what Constantine done. They get up there close to the Milvian Bridge, and they're getting ready for battle. <clears throat> Constantine said to the troops, he looked up into, he, said, he told them, he said, I've seen a Christian symbol in the sky. And this symbol was an X. It looked like it had a P in it. You see that sometimes. Actually, it's on some, one or two of these books around here. But that's what he said he's seen in the sky. So he tells all of his troops, we're going to paint that on all of our armor. And he tells them that he got saved. He's now a Christian. Okay? Now you've got to remember, at this point in time, Christians were being killed everywhere. Okay? So he tells them, I'm now a Christian. Now a Christian. Alright? So they go into the battle, and they win the battle. They win the battle. Alright? So what happens next is, after winning the battle and claiming he's a Christian, he when he ruled Rome, he made Christianity the national religion of Rome. Hmm. No more persecutions of Christians. Obviously, uh, this made him very popular with Christians. I mean, can you only imagine if you're a Christian and you're out there and they're killing you and cutting your heads off and everything else because of the way that you want to worship God being a Christian. And this guy is the ruler of the whole everything at this point in time, basically the ruler of the world. And he's saying, 
oh, we're going to make Christianity the national religion and, and no more killing, no more. I mean, if, if that was today, we would look at this guy and we'd go, <laughs> good deal, right? I mean, <laughs> no more getting our heads cut off. So it was a scheme, though. We've got to remember that. It was a scheme. It's not as good as it sounds. No more persecutions of Christians. Soon, <clears throat> in order to keep this lie going, all right, in order to keep the scheme going, he began building buildings for Christians to worship in. He started putting up big buildings all over the place to bring Christians in so that they could come in and worship. However, there was one problem with that. He brought in all of his pagan friends, his pagan traditions, their pagan customs, brought all that mess in with it, all their idols. And he mixed all that together to create, as the name Pergamum implies, a perverted marriage, a bad marriage, a mixture of church and state. Okay? That's what that means. Where, this is where the Roman church was started. Or as we know it, the Catholic church. That's where it was started. This is how it got started. This is how it has moved on. This was actually prophesied in a dream by, as we studied a few weeks ago, <clears throat> in a dream that Nebuchadnezzar, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream, Daniel interpreted the dream. You remember the statue? Every one of us has seen it in, in when it was in school or Sunday school. But that statue that had the golden head and the silver up here and brass, bronze around here and had the legs of iron, what did, what did it say about the feet? He had had feet of iron mixed with miry clay. That iron... That, that was talking about those two legs was talking about the two legs, the east leg and the west leg of the Roman Empire. The feet were still part of the legs, but it, had, it was mixed with miry clay. So this is a...